The Old Testament reading is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, and then verses 26 to 28. And this can be found on page 1 in the Bibles and the chairs. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock. And over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing. That moves on the earth. John chapter 20, verse 24. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his, in his, unless, sorry, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray as we stand. Father, having sung, we believe for those of us who can't yet say we do believe in Jesus. Please lead us closer to doing so this morning. And for those of us who do already believe in him, please help us to understand more about your world and how you relate to it in the light of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you have a seat? My dad was uh, a scientist at the Atomic Weapons Establishment in Aldermaston, and uh, he was an expert in uranium, which is what you make atomic bombs from. And he worked under the Official Secrets Act. So if a friend said, you know, my dad's a builder, what does yours do? I just looked blank and said, I haven't got a clue. Um, And he'd probably have to shoot me if he told me. Dad also was not a Christian. Uh, He never wanted to look into the claims of Jesus. And when I asked him why on one occasion, he said, because science explains everything I need explaining. And I don't believe in anything that science can't prove. And to use the jargon, that was his worldview. Your worldview is the belief through which you look at everything to make sense of the world, like a pair of belief glasses. So dad would look at any talk about God and think, uh, but God is not there because science cannot prove him. And I don't know, maybe right now you would say the same as my dad, uh, or you are wondering how to talk to someone like my dad. And uh, either way, this morning we're going to ask, can science and faith live together? So would you find um, my outline on the yellow notice sheet? It's got some pictures um, on it. And we are going to look at the two big areas where people often think that science has disproved God. So one is the area of origins, in other words, where the universe came from, and a bit later, where did we come from? And the other is the area of miracles, like Jesus calming the storm, for example, which the Bible presents to us as evidence that Jesus uh, is God. But some people would say, no, science says miracles can't happen. Sorry, evidence not admitted. So first of all, let's have a look at origins. Um, Rob mentioned at the beginning um, Brian Cox uh, and co. Um, I I did science to degree level, but you're always nervous as a layman saying anything because I'm aware that I think even the Big Bang theory, you know, there are people with different versions of it. So I'm just going to say, in a layman's way, the Big Bang is the current theory of where the universe came from. It is the idea that all the stuff in the universe was at one point gathered together in a single place, and a kind of explosion happened which sent it flying out, spinning off stars and galaxies, which is why we observe the universe expanding. And the first thing to say is that is not in conflict with the Bible. Because uh, Genesis 1.1, all of these verses will come up on the screen. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which means everything. 
Hebrews 11.3 adds to that. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, which implies that he made everything out of nothing. In other words, the Bible says the universe had a beginning, which means that if the Big Bang is at least roughly on the right lines, that is our best stab at how God began it. But like my first bullet point on the outline says, science can't say whether there is a God who began it all, because science is only a way of trying to understand what's observable. So have a look at picture one. Uh, Stick person stands for us, and the box stands for the universe, time and space where we live. And science is only a way of trying to understand what's out there in the observable universe or a method, if you want to use a fancier word. And the arrow is the method. So I was a biologist up to university level, and I spent a good deal of time at one point in the company of this stick insect. And science starts with observation. Doesn't it look well camouflaged? But then science wonders, what's the explanation? Maybe it's just coincidence that it's sitting on that green leaf. Or is the explanation that it has deliberately chosen to sit on that green leaf to match itself? In other words, is this camouflage behavior? Observation, possible explanation, test explanation. So for weeks on end, I had these little chaps in choice chambers, circular chambers, half white, half green, no other difference between them. And I would come in first thing in the day to see where they had parked themselves once it got light. And overwhelmingly, and with high statistical significance, they chose green. So my theory was, this is camouflage behavior. Theory is just a fancy word for idea, by the way. And that is all science is. Science is just a method or a recipe of arriving at theories of how the observable world works. What it is not is some kind of worldview that explains everything. And it's worth saying along the way that theories are only our best guess so far. So the theories that we are most sure about will need revising and tweaking. um, And other theories will need replacing completely. So, for example, science once believed that muscles, if you check your biceps, that, that, that muscles work by fluid pumping them up. And that seems believable if you feel your bicep. But actually, it's wrong. That, that theory had to be uh, replaced. <coughs> Just like some theories that are treated as absolute gospel today will be replaced tomorrow and looked back on either with laughter or with horror. So science is just a way of trying to understand what is observable. Next bullet point on the outline. God is not observable. He's not here in the box with us. And that means science cannot prove him or disprove him. In fact, rest of that bullet point, we can only know God because he has revealed himself. So if you have a look at this next picture, uh, the crown stands for God. He's outside the box of the universe, which is why we can't pick him up with any super Hubble telescope. But the arrow down into the box stands for how God has revealed himself through all of his words and actions recorded throughout the Bible and climaxing in his son actually stepping into the box. 
And John chapter 1, verse 18 sums that up. It says this, No one has ever seen God. No one's ever picked him up on a telescope. But the only son who is at the father's side, he has made him known. In other words, Jesus stepped into the box and made God observable. A couple of important things to get from all of that so far. One is that Christian faith is based on evidence that people have observed. And that needs saying because some people caricature faith as you know, just choosing to believe in God despite there being no evidence uh, because psychologically you need to. You're a bit of a basket case. So Richard Dawkins says, quote, faith lacks all supporting evidence, but people need a crutch, which just shows how ignorant he is of Christianity. Because uh, in that reading we had from John's Gospel, we saw the exact opposite. We saw Jesus giving sceptical Thomas evidence that he had just risen from the dead. And John 20, verse 30 to 31 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written as evidence so that you, readers in every place in every age, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So sadly, my dad was being unusually unscientific when he said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not prepared to look at the evidence. Another important thing to get from this is that when scientists talk about God, this is really important, when scientists talk about God, they are not making scientific statements. They are just making personal statements. So, for example, Stephen Hawking was Lucasian professor of maths at Cambridge, brilliant scientist, and he said, quote, there is no God, and I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail, and there is no afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy tale for people afraid of the dark, end of quote. And the big mistake is to give that statement the same weight as what he said about gravity. Because being an expert on gravity gives you no expertise at all about God. Because science is only a way of trying to understand what's observable, and God is not observable, and therefore Stephen Hawking has no more authority to talk about God than you or me or the other guy in the pub. Let me uh, recommend this new book by John Lennox, Can Science Explain Everything? It's probably the shortest, sort of lightest uh, book on all of this highly recommend it and um, <clears throat> he quotes a non-christian nobel prize winning scientist who criticized people like stephen hawking and richard dawking for making pronouncements about god and he said quote remember outside his his or her own field of expertise the scientist is just as dumb as the next guy do you think he was american he was american Okay, the other origins issue is where did life come from? Which brings us to the theory of evolution. Which is the idea that all species of living creatures, ultimately you can trace them back to, to one ancestor, single cell ancestor, um, and they all came about through a process of, of random chance. That has been called a theory in crisis. That's the title uh, of uh, this book, which I picked up a while ago, written 35 years ago by a guy called Michael Denton. He's not a Christian, 
he is a world-class molecular biologist. And he's just published a new edition of that book called Evolution, Still a Theory in Crisis. And Michael Denton says, um, evolution is a believable story, otherwise people wouldn't believe it. This story that, first of all, chemicals, in other words, non-life, got together in, in, in big molecules, that they then assembled themselves into the first cell, i.e. life, and that from that first cell come all of the species, including ourselves, that now exist. Um, so he says, anyone can see it's a believable story, uh, a bit like a, a, a visiting Martian today might at first sight think it's believable that Ford Fiestas grew into Ford Focuses, grew into Ford S-Maxes. I mean, there, there's something believable about that when you look at them. But Michael Denton shows that there is still no evidence for how the step from non-life to life could possibly have taken place. And that there is still no evidence that species have changed into other species. Those things are just asserted by the theory of evolution. So Michael Denton would say it's a theory that needs replacing, and he speaks for a significant number in the scientific community. And if you're wondering why you haven't heard from more of them, the answer is that in many of the top scientific journals in the world, in order to be published, you have to subscribe to the theory of evolution. And in many of the academic posts around the world, to occupy them, you have to subscribe to the theory of evolution. In other words, censorship is operating. Um, if, you, um, if you want more on the, uh, the origin of life issue, I suggest John Lennox's uh, longer book, uh, God's Undertaker, Has Science Buried God? Um, on origins, as, as a layman, having been a biologist at university, I would say I doubt the theory of evolution, and so I don't spend time trying to think how it would fit with the Bible. However, if you are convinced by the theory of evolution, you do need to spend time thinking how it fits with the Bible. Okay, that's origins. More briefly, let's think about miracles, like Jesus calming the storm. Uh, let me read John 20, verse 30, 31 again. Now, Jesus did many other signs, which is John's word for miracles because he regarded miracles as kind of signposts pointing to who Jesus really is. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the four gospels come along and they present uh, Jesus' miracles as evidence that he is God. Some people come along and say, no, science says that can't have happened. Miracles can't happen. And they say that because they have this worldview uh, in my third picture. So the box stands for time and space again where we live. And the arrows stand for the chain of cause and effect kicked off by the big Bang. And this world says that that's like a kind of closed system and it's all governed by the laws of nature. For example, the law of gravity, which means that whenever I drop something, it will fall towards the center of the earth or whenever I try to walk on water, I will sink. And nothing and no one can be an exception to those laws. 
So here's a problem, John's Gospel, chapter 6. When evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they'd rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, says John, and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it's I. Don't be afraid. And someone who has this worldview in picture three will say, that never happened because it cannot have happened. And it won't do any good to lend them the best book that you know on the reliability of the Gospels that tells them that John was an eyewitness and he wrote you know, within however many years of the event and this is why all of the historical details show that he knew what he was talking about, he knew his places, he did Because they don't have a historical problem, they have a worldview problem that will always say, I'm sorry, on my worldview, that cannot happen. Because Jesus would have been breaking the laws of nature. But if the God of the Bible is really there, that worldview is wrong. That's the problem. Because the universe is not just a chain of cause and effect kicked off by the Big Bang with no one behind it. Instead, next bullet point on my outline, the Bible says God created the universe, and this is the thing to get. He governs it moment by moment. And that's why it's so regular and orderly. That's why we can do science. That's, that's why we can observe things and call them laws of nature. So that's my next picture on the outline or or the screen. Again, the crown stands for God outside the box of his creation. Inside the box, there are all of those chains of cause and effect, systems, mechanisms, whatever a scientist wants to call them. But every single one of them is under God's moment-by-moment control. So I've tried to illustrate that with those dotted lines coming down. God is involved in every single process in this universe. And so it isn't the laws of nature that are in charge, it's the Lord of nature that's in charge. And it's because he controls everything so regularly that we observe things happening so regularly. Here's gravity again. Um, And that we can turn our observations into what we call the laws of nature. But it's not the laws that are in charge making things happen, it's the Lord. So it's a bit like our dog Bramble. Here's Bramble. Uh, sitting, watching the post arrive, as she does, 9.30, regular as clockwork, post flops through onto the mat. And in her doggy way, she might think, well, that's the law of post. But it's not the law of post that makes the letters come, is it? It's the postman making them come, doing his stuff regularly. And it is the same with the universe. It's not the laws of nature that make things happen. It's the Lord of nature. It's the creator doing his stuff regularly. And the Bible teaches that worldview in Hebrews 1 verse 3, which says this. He, that's Jesus, God's son, back in heaven after he died and rose again. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That word upholds also mean he carries it along or he directs it or he governs it. That's what he's doing all of the time, um, which is why, for example, gravity is operating right now so that everything doesn't just fly apart. It's because Jesus is keeping gravity operating. 
So if you're not yet a Christian, uh, or you're talking to someone who is not, here's the big what if. What if the God of the Bible is really there? And what if he does have a son uh, who shares his lordship over nature? And what if his son did step into the box to make God observable, like in my last picture here? And what if when he was inside the box, he showed his lordship over nature to point to who he really was and is because then you know jesus walking on water would not be jesus naughtily breaking the laws of gravity tut tut it would just be jesus doing what he's always doing which is controlling gravity because he's the lord of gravity because he's he's above gravity he's outside gravity he's not subject to gravity like we are well, what about the calming of the storm? Here we go. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And that wasn't Jesus being naughty and breaking the laws of meteorology. Because the laws of meteorology are just our way of talking about what Jesus is doing all the time. Namely, controlling every single weather system everywhere. So all he was doing in the calming of the storm was doing what he's always doing to a dramatically different timescale. Bringing wind and the waves to a stop instantaneously. Why? To draw attention to himself. Which is why the calming of the storm ends like this. Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And if you're looking into Christianity uh, or helping someone who is, that's the one big question to answer. Who is this? Was Jesus really God's son come into the box? Is he really the Lord of everything so that the wind and the waves obey him? And if that's true, how much more should we obey him and actually give over the running of our lives to him? But the even bigger question is, if that's who he really was, why did he end up dying on a cross? Why would the Lord of everything, in control of life and gravity and people and wood and nails, lose control like that over all of those things and die? And the Bible's answer is he didn't lose control. The Bible's answer is that's why he entered the box in the first place. Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Because we didn't just need him to make God observable. We needed him to pay the price of our forgiveness back into relationship with God. That's why he took on himself the judgment for everything we did wrong. And then rose again, is back in heaven and now that he's there, we can approach him and say, please forgive me for, for failing to treat you as Lord, and please help me to treat you as Lord from now on. And maybe that is why my dad was not scientific enough to look into this ever. Maybe he had an inkling that it might not just lead to a theory, but to a person who had the right to run his life. And for anyone looking into Christianity, that's the catch, isn't it? Is that what you really want at the end of the investigation? 
So if you're still thinking through um, what you believe, can I encourage you to be scientific, do the experiment, look at Jesus in the evidence that he's provided himself. You're welcome to take a free copy of something like this, Mark's Gospel, from one of the literature stands. And um, we also run something called Christianity Explored, where you can look into Mark's Gospel with a bunch of other people also asking questions. And if you are a Christian, I hope that has helped with how science and faith can and do live together. I hope it helps with your next conversation about all this. And just a reminder on the screens of the two Lennox books and a very helpful website called bethinking.org, which has lots of useful stuff, uh, talks, videos, articles uh, on this issue uh, and on lots of the other issues that inevitably come up the moment you, ask, you, the moment you open your mouth about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you as our creator and the creator of everything. We praise you for creating this universe and within it for creating this earth in just the right way that it supports life and supports our lives today. And we thank you for creating us with the ability to investigate it through science and at least partly to understand it and how it works. But above all, thank you that in your son you've entered the box so that we might know who is behind it all and why it's here and why we are here. And we thank you that that enables us not just to uh, understand some of the hows, but to find our meaning and our purpose and our place in your world. In Jesus' name, amen.